We're nearly at Christmas. Mixed responses. And if you're one of those people that has a birthday around Christmas, you might feel a bit hard done by. My daughter has a birthday on Christmas Day. It used to be one of those things that the vicar used to say on Christmas morning, well, whose birthday is it today, children? And yeah, you can imagine what happened. But I want to say a special happy birthday this morning to Monica. It's Monica's birthday today, so let's give her a round of applause. Now, this morning, as we look forward to Christmas, we are going to look at the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's testimony rings out in these early verses in John's Gospel. Look, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They were about the same age, John and Jesus, distant relatives. But until Jesus comes to John to be baptised in the Jordan... They'd never met. But John understood that Jesus was the Messiah. When Jesus came to be baptised, John protested, no, you should be baptising me, he said. But when he did baptise Jesus and the Holy Spirit descended, he knew one thing. He knew that Jesus was not only the Messiah, the Son of God, but he was the Saviour the Lamb of God. So as John sees Jesus the next day walking past, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, all the Jews listening would have known about the Lamb of God. Every morning and every evening in the temple in Jerusalem, the Lamb was sacrificed. It was sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. And at Passover, the Lamb that was sacrificed was to remember the Passover lamb who was sacrificed to allow delivery of the Israelites from Egypt and from slavery. The substitute, the the sacrifice was a substitute. It was a death to atone for the people's sin. And the punishment of death that would have fallen on the people fell on the lamb. The person went free. And so Isaiah says about the Messiah, he'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He'll be a substitute to take away the sin of the world. And as John sees Jesus, he sees not only the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, but he sees God's real lamb, God's death substitute. That's why the great song in Revelation says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so John sees it. The first one to see it, behold the Lamb of God. Now, outwardly, the Jewish leaders were more concerned about John than they were about Jesus. He was causing quite a commotion. And he was doing the unthinkable. He was baptising Jews. Now, it was okay to baptise Gentiles, Gentiles who had repented, but the Jews didn't need baptising because they were already part of God's family. So they thought. But John came calling everyone to repent. And so the Jewish leaders send this delegation to John. And they say to him, who are you? They knew that the Messiah was promised. And they knew that before the Messiah came, Elijah would return. And at the same time, there would be a prophet like Moses. So they're looking for three signs. 
So they asked John these three questions. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet Moses? But John doesn't answer their question because he doesn't want to talk about himself. He points to Jesus. And he then says three things about Jesus which show us the divinity, the Godhead of Jesus himself. First thing John says is, I've been baptizing with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Only God can baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, even though he comes after me, yet he was before me. How can you come after and be before? Well, that's the eternal nature of God. And finally, he says, I'm not, I'm not worthy even to untie the laces on his sandals. Doesn't mean much to us, but to the Jews, that would have meant, meant something significant. Even a Jewish slave wasn't required to unfasten the sandals of their master. It was seen as too demeaning. Not even a slave wanted to do that. And here is John saying, as an act of humility and as an act of worship, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And so we get the great declaration. John sees Jesus going past and he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now in my working life I was a salesman. And any good salesman knows that you have to sell the USP. You have to sell the benefit of your product. And so for John, he wants to sell Jesus. And what is the great benefit? What's the great blessing Jesus comes to bring? He comes to bring salvation. He comes to solve man's biggest problem. Salesmanship is about problem solving. Jesus comes to solve man's biggest problem. For since the Garden of Eden, the overarching problem that man has had is sin, an act of rebellion against God which has severed our relationship with God. And the consequence of that broken relationship is judgment, condemnation, death. It's not God's fault. It's ours. It was our choice, our decision, our actions. And God can't bear it. And there's nothing that he won't do to put that right. No lengths that he won't go to. And so he himself has become the sacrificial lamb, he himself is the one who's going to bear our sin. He is the one who'll be our substitute. He will die that we will go free. It's been a cold week this week. I was in Leicestershire yesterday, and there's still snow on the side of the roads and in the fields. But it's nothing like as cold as it was for Napoleon's army retreating from the Russian army in the winter of 1812. Half a million French soldiers entered Russia. And as they retreated, that half million was now scarcely 20,000 men. And those 20,000 men in that Russian winter were dressed in summer uniforms. And as they retreated through the frozen wastes of what is now Belarus, they were being picked off by marauding Cossacks, inflicted by illness, starvation, cold and being caught by the, rapidly caught by the Russian army. And on the evening of the 29th of November, they reached the Beretsina River. It was partly frozen. Great ice flows were coming down this fast-flowing river. 
There were no bridges. The river is 100 metres wide. And if they couldn't cross by first light in the morning, they would be slaughtered by the Russian army. Now, that French army still had one corps of engineers, one corps of Dutch bridge builders. And overnight, from scratch, they built not one, but two bridges across this freezing river. But to do it, they had to wade out into the river, which was flowing with great chunks of ice. They would take it in turns to go out into that freezing water in small groups, with snow on the ground and the water temperature barely above freezing, it was no more than 10 to 15 minutes before hypothermia meant they would lose their grip, lose their footing, and be swept away down river. That is, if they hadn't been knocked off their feet by the ice flows coming down the river in the first place. One after another, these bridge builders waded into the river to do their duty to the army, to allow the army to escape knowing for them it meant certain death. The army had no alternative. Death faced them all if they stayed on the banks of the river. But as first morning light broke, the bridges were built. The army crossed. But no bridge builders crossed that bridge. Their bodies littered the banks downstream. Their lives had been given that others might escape. They paid the ultimate price. They had gone into that river like lambs to the slaughter. And that's what John sees. Look, Jesus, the Lamb of God, our bridge builder. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one whose mission is certain death. But the one who is our only hope of salvation. The only one to bridge, build a bridge back to God for us to cross. Do you think those French soldiers needed any encouragement to cross that bridge back to safety? I don't think so. And if we go on in chapter 1 of John, we read that two disciples saw John point out Jesus. They heard John's testimony about Jesus and immediately they turned and followed Jesus. They left John. John's job was done. John had pointed them to Jesus. And now they could follow him for themselves. One of those disciples was Andrew. Was this an act of betrayal to John? Were they on a whim? Was this just an aberration? No, actually, this was a step of faith. They caught a glimpse of Jesus. Their eyes had been opened, and in that moment... They followed. In those tiny moments, momentous decisions are made. Have you ever had a moment to make a life-changing decision? Had Andrew not followed, then Peter wouldn't have been called. Had Peter not been called, the 5,000 would not have come to Christ on the day of Pentecost. Had the 5,000 not... You would know where I'm going. Life-changing decisions made in a moment. Steps of faith are a challenge, but they are life-changing. They cause us to throw ourselves totally on Jesus. There's no safety net to catch us. 
we put our trust wholly and solely in him. Do you ever wonder what? Do you ever wonder what might have happened if I hadn't have stepped on that icy patch and fallen? What might have happened if I hadn't met that person that day? What might have happened if I hadn't applied for that job and taken it or bought that house? Decisions made in a moment which can have life-changing consequences. We make big decisions, and Andrew that day made a big decision. Behold the Lamb of God, and Andrew followed. He turned his back on everything. He gave his life unconditionally to Jesus. Do I do the same? Do I throw myself on Jesus in the way that Andrew threw himself? Do I unconditionally follow in the way that he did? Do I accept that free gift of life in the way that he accepted that free gift of life? Do you ask yourself, what if I do? Or what if I don't? For me, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is found towards the end of Acts, Acts 26, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul is testifying before King Agrippa. And the king says to Paul these sad words. He says, I am almost persuaded, almost persuaded to be a Christian. He's on the cusp. He's heard the testimony. The Spirit of God has stirred his heart. But in that moment, King Agrippa walks away. That was the moment in his life for him to make that decision. And he walked away. Contrast that with Matthew. The Apostle Matthew, who in Luke 5, left everything and followed Jesus. That's what Jesus calls us to do this morning. This Christmas time, come follow me, he says. Over these next couple of weeks, you know, life is quite different over Christmas. Routines change, activities stop. We have time to stop and think and gaze and wonder. And what Jesus calls us to do in those moments is to come, follow me. Follow me, the Lamb of God. Follow me, the Saviour of the world. Do you hear that call? Is that something your heart stirs in your heart, that you want to unconditionally give your life to him? See, God doesn't want a nodding acquaintanceship with us. He doesn't want us every couple of weeks just to come and say hello. In Revelation, he says, I knock at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. And that's God's invitation to us this morning. Come. And what's our answer? It's one of those momentous moments in life. What is our answer when God says, come? Do we see the one to whom John was pointing? Do we, like Andrew... Say, yes, I will follow. I'll open the door. I'll let him in. That's a big step of faith, but God's calling you to do that. Don't go and say, what if I had? Step out in faith. Jesus is calling you. There's a carol, I dare say, that you'll hear this Christmas. 
which has this verse, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can I give him, I give my heart. Let's spend a moment in quiet together and seek Jesus to say, what are you calling, what's your calling on my life this morning? What are you calling me to? Lord, I hear you calling and I want to say yes. Let's spend a moment in quiet before we then come to prayer. We hear your voice. We hear you calling us. Lord, our heart says, yes, I will come. Lord, take me as I am. Take me with all the mess and baggage I bring. Lord, I lay that at the foot of your cross. You, the Lamb of God, have dealt with all that. And you hold your hand out to me and you bid me come. You take me by the hand and you lead me forward. Father, we don't want to look back. We only want to look forward. Father, we want to bow before you. We want to give you our lives, not in part, but in whole. Everything we have, everything we are. Everything we possess, we lay before you this morning. Have us, take us, use us. May we be yours and yours alone. Father, we cry with that great heavenly host, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. We thank you that that dying Savior on the cross is now the Lamb of God, seated on the throne of heaven. We thank you that we, miserable sinners, have been brought into that relationship with you through him. Father, our hearts just overflow this morning because of your generosity to us. Father, we want to reciprocate. We want to love you as you have loved us. Lord, would you take us today, this morning, and set our feet on that rock Set our feet in that place whereby we stand with clean hands and a pure heart before you, ready to do your will. Father, as this year draws to a close and a new year lies before us, we just want to reflect on your wonderful goodness and provision for us over these past weeks and months and this past year.
Lord, we have so much to thank you for. We want to thank you this morning for news that John Hudson's brain operation revealed that he only had a cyst. Lord, we thank you for that, and we just pray for his full recovery. Lord, we thank you for things we've witnessed this year. We thank you for Peter and Helen's wedding in the summer. And we thank you for Helen's wonderful leadership now of our children's work. Lord, we thank you that all the approvals have now gone through for our reordering project. Thank you for that. And thank you for all the funds that have been given and are yet to be given. Lord, we thank you for the growth in our precious Tuesday Open Church community. Lord, we thank you for that part of our church which meets at the church centre every Sunday morning, for Mary and Sally as they oversee those lovely people. Lord, we thank you for the burgeoning young people's group we have in this church and for Diane and Gary and others who lead them with irrepressible energy. Father, we thank you for those who manage all our practical things, our finances, for Jamie, for Sally Coates, for Dave Tooby. Lord, we thank you for the PCC who oversee the direction and governance of our church. Thank you, Father, for Elisa and Miranda and Charlie and Maggie, who are our parish office team and who do all the background stuff that keeps us going and supports the mission of the church. Lord, we thank you for all those who give and tithe so faithfully and sacrificially, week by week, month by month, year by year. Lord, we thank you for all those who support our worship, for Anita and the music group, for Richard, for Dave and their teams of sound and projectionists. Lord, we thank you for Andy and Roger and the other wardens who work tirelessly, for Sonia, for Graham and all those involved in welcoming and providing coffee. And Father, above all, we thank you for Joe and for Paul, who lead us by example, who bring us weekly into your presence in worship, and so faithfully open your word to give us life. Lord, they are your gifts to us, and we give you unfathomable thanks for them. Lord, we are a truly blessed community of your people. And as we look in faith to next year, we want to declare, Christ is the first and the last. His Spirit will guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past, and we'll trust him for all that's to come. In his precious name we pray. Amen.